The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. You've got the H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on those dirt trails and kick up some mud. Or the third-row seating gets your whole family in to experience the thrill together. The dual wireless charging pads make sure that no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead cell phone. Think about those adventurous activities you can do, like me taking a ski trip up with the family, maybe going on a camping expedition, anything and everything. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Hey there, it's Gary Parish. It's Wednesday, April 8, 2020. Welcome back to the CBS Sports Eye on College Basketball Podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting and leaky black. Matt Norlander is here with me. He's social distancing at home. I'm social distancing at home. I, I can't speak for Norlander, but all I do these days is work, juggle my kids, and watch Netflix or some other kind of television. Norlander, is that basically your schedule as well? Is that basically everybody's schedule in America right now? I actually haven't done much Netflixing, man. I've done a little bit here. Just started uh, a few days back with some Shits Creek, uh, getting to the end of season one. That's pretty good, but I've heard it gets better in seasons two, three, and four, so wife and I are watching that. But with what we're going to talk about here in a couple minutes, uh, due to uh, my wife's busy work schedule and me managing the kiddos during the day for the most part, at night for most of the past two and a half, three weeks, I've actually spent working on uh, my top 101 uh, tournament games since the field expanded. So, uh, no, I haven't done much of that. I'm actually, to be honest, um, taking to my world just a little bit here, I'm actually like desperate to play a ton of guitar. I haven't really had a chance to do that yet. Where we podcast up in my offices where I've got my drums, my guitar amps, and all that set up. So, uh, I understand a lot of people are, are binging on Netflix right now. I did do I watched Tiger King. That was completely overrated and frankly depressing. I don't even know if it was worth it to watch it, but whatever. Uh, so I did do that. But otherwise, no. Um, I'll I'll probably pick up a show, watch an episode here or there. But I want to play music, man. I want to I want to play guitar, learn some more songs. That's what I want to do. So that's uh, that that's in my to do for for April in terms of the evenings. I find just so much more you know, doing that kind of stuff as opposed to uh, just watching show after show after show. Like during the days, I mean, I, it's, it's crazy at the house. Like I'm, I'm trying to make sure my, my oldest son is like focused on his online school because they have to be, you know, in front of a computer. They're being taught, you know, starting at 9am every day. So I got to stay on him. Uh, then I'm juggling the little dudes, which is a nightmare. And then um, you know, I got to prepare for a radio show. I'm I'm writing columns. Um, you know, we're, I'm doing CBS Sports HQ. So the days are crazy. And then, of course, I get home around 6:30 after radio. And, but my whole family goes to bed except for my oldest around 8:30 or so. So then I got a few hours. And in those hours, if there's not something I absolutely have to do for work, I'll, I'll try to dive into a show. Um, I'm all caught up on Better Call Saul. I'm into season two of Ozark. Are you an Ozark watcher? Yes or no? I bailed after season one, and I've heard season three is just okay. So that's going to be one of those deals where whenever the show ends, if people say it gets good, I'll, I'll get into it. I'm actually – it's funny you mentioned, like, Saul is a show that I'm normally very into, and I still am, but I'm – I think I'm now three episodes behind on that. So I do intend tonight – to probably knock out two of those and maybe finish the third one that I got to catch up on uh, tomorrow as well. That's the one show that I'm definitely invested in that I got to get up to speed on. Better Call Saul is great this season. I mean, it's great every season. It's really good. It's getting good. Um, I'm all caught up there. I'm in season two of Ozark. I'd never even watched. I never started season one until season three came out. And it was just like, eh, if everybody's watching this, I'll, what, what else do I got to do at 11 o'clock at night and I can't sleep? So I'm, I'm into season two of Ozark, digging it. The other night, I watched a documentary. And it came out last year. I had just never seen it for whatever. And it's not something I'd seek out. It just like popped on my screen. And I was just laying there. And it was like, I don't know, 90 minutes. And I said, okay, I could probably just lay here and I'll fall asleep during it. And if it's any good, I'll wake up and watch the rest. And if it's not, then, you know, whatever. I, I used it to fall asleep. I did fall asleep. I woke up the next day and watched the rest of it. And it leads me to the first trivia time of the podcast because you're a music expert. And I want to see if you know this. All right, fire away. I wouldn't what? say expert, by the way. I would say enthusiast, but yes, go ahead. 
you're ne- you're a music enthusiast. Okay. What rock band mm-hmm. lasted the longest without ever losing an original member? So you're using this as a past tense. I will tell you. I mean, technically, they're still together today. Yeah. I'm, then my first guess is you two. No. Okay. Uh, still together today because uh, it's, it's not the Rolling Stones. Um, hasn't lost. So the original incarnation of the band still exists today, and they have never lost a member or added a member. It's been the same construct of the band the entire time. Not necessarily true. They have added people to the band at times, but it's always been the original. The, the I don't want to. If I tell you how many yeah, people in no, the original no, yeah. band, it'll, it'll help you. Um, but it's always been those original people, and then they might add people, and then and then you know take them away. But it's always the the people who started the band have never not been in the band. No one's died. No one's died. Just amazing. Hmm. I'm just trying to think of someone. Uh, would they have formed in the '60s? Yes. Hmm. American or British? American. <sighs> they still going? I mean, I don't know when their last album came out. I could look, but like, I'm sure they played shows in the year 2019. American band, still going. No one's died. Could have added people to the group. Last album came out in 2012. This is a good trivia time. Um, I didn't know this, and I've known this band my whole life. I've listened to this band. I've seen this band in concert. Yeah. Uh, and their last, the last show that they played, they, they played on Valentine's Day 2020. Hmm. So they're still playing. Good on them. Um, GP, that's a good question because, you t- you know, you talk about, like, the all-time American bands, so to speak. Like, you know, think about Allman Brothers, they don't apply. You think about uh, Talking Heads, they don't apply. You think about... Beach Boys doesn't apply. Beach Boys doesn't apply. You think about Grateful Dead doesn't apply. Um American band, GP. Um you're gonna know it as soon as I say it. It's gonna just, it's gonna just, it's gonna piss me off. Is what it's gonna do. Uh, yeah, Eagles. No. Um, give it to me. Oh, I'm gonna be so angry. Give it to me. Z. Really? Z top. Where? Uh, do you know where they're from? Do you know where they started? Texas. Yeah, but where? Houston. Austin. ZZ Top is, is the answer. How about that? Yeah, formed in 1969. Billy Gibbons, Dusty Hill, Frank Beard. Wow, and it's been the same. Those three guys have been in the band without, without exception. I have a quick ZZ Top story. Not that great, but ZZ Top was the first or second concert I ever attended. I'm pretty sure it was. It wasn't the first I attended willingly. They played at a Vermont State Fair when I would have been 11, and my parents went. I got detached from my parents at a ZZ Top show because one of their close friends was also at the show, and they look up to discover that this woman is on stage with ZZ Top, and I think that's something that maybe the band encouraged. The next thing I know, I turn around, and I'm next to this man and woman, both pushing three bills, reeking of marijuana, and I, I have like I'm, I have a total freakout moment because I can't I can't find my parents. I don't know what's going on. State fair, just the horde around me. That's my ZZ Top story. It was uh it was a frightening moment for an eleven. Maybe I was maybe I was twelve twelve year old little Norlander there. But um, ZZ Top, good good stuff, man. That would have if you would have given me like thirty more minutes, I still wouldn't have landed on them. But that's a good factoid there. I appreciate so the documentary was on the top. You're saying uh, it's on Netflix and it's good. Yeah, like you, I think you. I don't even think you've got to be a ZZ Top fan uh, to to appreciate it. Uh, you know, it, it's a good documentary. It's enjoyable. It's fast paced. It's it's good. You dig it if you get bored. All right. I, I'm all about the doc. Yeah, I like music docs. Good to know. Formed in 1969, they've been together 51 years. Oh, do you know the story behind why they're called ZZ Top? 
I do not know the story about why they're called ZZ Top. I once heard the story about why they, uh, two of the three grew the beards out, but I've since forgotten why the the methodology behind that too. They um, they were they loved BB King, so the original name of the band was ZZ King. How about that? But then they thought it was sounded too much like BB King because it clearly does. So they changed it to ZZ Top because at the time they said BB King was at the top of the blues world. So they decided to be ZZ Top. I like it. Good deal. And, Some, sometimes you get it, some interesting stories behind those names. And by the way, it just maybe it's because they've been around five decades, GP. But it, that just sounds like a good band name, even if it doesn't mean anything, so to speak. But ZZ Top, like it's just the way it sounds when you say it. Uh, the consonants well, it of looks, it, yeah, it works. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like they've got strong ties to Memphis as, as well. That's among the reasons. Like I got into them, you know, when I was a kid. Eliminator, which is probably their most famous album, um, was recorded at Arden Studios um, here here in Memphis. And at my ZZ Top story, uh, it actually doesn't include me. It's one of my buddies, um, my my buddy Joey, who I went to high school with, uh, landed a job after high school where. Um, I, 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 he would he was a runner for bands when concerts came into town and he happened to be working a ZZ Top show and Billy Gibbons got in an SUV with him Joey was driving the SUV and Billy like Billy Gibbons is in the is in the uh, SUV and my buddy Joey was listening had a CD so you can you know imagine the, the time period here it's probably I don't know, 15, 20 years ago, probably close to 20 years ago. So my buddy uh, Joey's got a CD in of a Memphis band that's gotten, you know, relatively famous since then. But at the time, they were basically just a Memphis band uh, called Lucero. And Billy Gibbons was like, what are you listening to? Who is this? And uh, Joey told him and he said, that's a Memphis band. And and Billy Gibbons was like, "Do, do you take me to the nearest record store where I can buy this? So I, I, so Joey calls me, tells me, and I'm friends with the guys in Lucera. So I got the pleasure of telling them. That's cool. Dude, my buddy uh, was just driving around Billy Gibbons and was listening to you guys, and Billy Gibbons made him go to the nearest record store so that he could buy you guys first record. So that was go. a that was a neat, you know, that kind of stuff has happened to them a million times over since then. But at the time, that was a, that was about the coolest thing in the world. Real quick before we get to the hoops, uh, for those listening that might want something different, if you haven't seen any of you like music docs, two very long ones that you can kind of s- spread out your week or your weekend. Uh, I would think both are on Netflix, but look, maybe Hulu or wherever. The Eagles documentary is ridiculously good and then the Tom Petty one as well there are so many good ones but if you're looking for kind of mainstream artists that you either like or have a passing interest in or even if you don't like either of those bands they're so so well done because of how much the people in the bands were willing to share about the the strife and the struggle and all that stuff so just uh just a tip of the cap there to those two specific ones if you're looking for music docs that's among the reasons the ZZ Top one's very good as well like everybody participates you know everybody's in telling stories Uh, it's really well done so if you're looking for something late at night to watch or early in the morning. I don't care when you watch TV. Um, it is called ZZ Top. Um, that I believe it's called that little old band from Texas. And so you can check that out on Netflix. All right, let's get to basketball. You mentioned you um, had been working on for several weeks a list of the top 101 NCAA tournament games since the tournament expanded in 1985. Mm-hmm. Ended up uh, publishing earlier this week, and I will tell you, that is quite a, a workload. I'm glad I didn't volunteer to do that one. That that, that do you, let me ask you this. Yeah. Uh, um, um, listen, I love my jobs and I love every you know I'm, I'm appreciative of them. But there are certain things about my job that I don't actually enjoy doing the work. Like I enjoy this. I like I enjoy doing what we're doing right now. But like when I have to do a mock draft, I don't enjoy that. Um, I don't like writing about 30 different players. You know, sort of read. And, and then you got to update it in three weeks, and so you got to write something new about thirty different players. I, it feels like a checklist to me. Like, okay, there's one down. Here's another. Here's another. I, 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 I dread doing it. I don't. So I can't imagine what it's like to do a hundred and one, and you have to research everything because I don't like. I don't have to research whatever I'm going to write about Vernon Carey. Like, I got that. You have to first research. Um, all the tournaments dating back to 1985, make a list, and then figure out enough about games that you knew nothing about a week ago, and then to, to be able to write words about it. I, <laughs> I, 
I don't know that I'd have done that. You would. <laughs> no, you never would have. What are you talking about? Never would have done this. So season ends. The ensuing 48 hours, 72 hours after the tournament, it's a whole bunch of, you know, getting ducks in a row and working on all that stuff and uh, talking to folks that were connected with the selection committee and NCAA and writing those stories. And then I already know, like, the gears are turning. I'm like, well, you know, I know we're still going to have to produce stuff. And then, you know, you hear about they're going to re-air games. And I thought... You know what? First of all, I loved. Now, was it work? Yes. Did it take a lot of time? Yes. I spent probably north of forty actual work hours doing everything connected to this. Uh, but I, I, I thought it was something that should be put into the world. Now, that could be a misguided notion by me, although I've received a lot of feedback from people that read it and coaches that were thankful to have it uh, because it's a way of looking. This did not exist. This there is unless it was researched and, and willy-nilly put on some message board somewhere. No one ever assembled a list of the 100, and I had to go 101 because I, I, <laughs> I could not bear to get this down to 100. Um, game, best games in modern tournament history, GP. I was going to start – my first thing was like, oh, I'm just going to do top 100 in history. And then I thought, you know what, this that is just – that's too much, and I can't turn it quickly enough. I thought, you know what? The tournament really became the tournament when it went to 64 teams. I'll just reduce it to that. And if you have not read it yet, by the way, uh, you can check my Twitter feed. Go to the CBS Sports app on your phone. It's still the cover story. <laughs> you can you can either you can you can carve out about ninety minutes and either watch the ZZ Top documentary <laughs> or read Norlander's most recent piece. Yes, and listen, if you love college hoops, you love this podcast. I think you will enjoy it. Now, um, it is it is a it is a long piece, uh, but it's not the longest I've ever posted uh, on the site because of the one to three fifty three. The nature of those teams and those capsules; those are actually longer than this one was. Now, I loved doing it because I also I went down rabbit holes. I mean, some of these games are on YouTube, and I would literally sit there and watch like five, six, seven minutes of it because, particularly the ones in the '80s, because I never I never saw those games. Um, I wanted to represent every single year, every single tournament. GP, it's it's tough. Like I mentioned in the intro, there have been only since 1985 alone, there have been 117 games decided by one point. Trivia time. Okay. In the history of the tournament, the entire tournament, this wasn't included in the piece. How many? How many one-point games do you think there have been in the history of the NCAA tournament? Okay. What was the number again since '85? One seventeen. Okay. Well, then the uh, the number is going to be. And we go back to 1939 was the first one, but from 39 up into you know the mid to late 60s, the, it wasn't nearly as big as it was today. So the game there weren't as many games. I believe last time I checked, it was 172. When did you, when was the last time you checked? I've never checked. <laughs> 172 is is low, but it's 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 not significantly more than that. Um, if you go back to 1939, uh, when tri- bonus trivia time, who won the first tournament? You should know this. Who won the first tournament? Who won the first tournament? Yeah, who won the first tournament? I, I have no idea. I'll guess Yale. You don't have any? No, come on, man. You don't know who won the first tournament? Dude, I can barely remember who won like the last tournament. Okay, it's Oregon. Of course, it was Oregon. The Ducks. Of course. Um, All-time all 202 NCAA tournament games have been decided by one point, but since '85, it's been 117, uh, which is only by one point. And then after that, you get 147 two-point games and 139 three-point games. It's just an absurd amount of really good games that could have been put under consideration in my initial list was close to 200 overall. So let me ask you this. Okay, so you have no memories of the 1985 tournament. Like, I barely have memories of the 85 tournament. That's the first tournament I remember. And the reason I remember is because Memphis State was in the Final Four. It was interesting. The first game you listed was a Memphis State UAB game from the second round of that tournament. I have no recollection of that. I don't remember that at all. And by the way... um, that I, I first of all, it was great to discover that places like the L.A. Times, New York Times, Baltimore Sun, UPI, AP have archived game stories of all these. So I learned the very first game is chronological order. There was no shot I was ranking these 101 to one because what's the difference between the 74th and the 75th best game? It's indecipherable. So it's a chronological list. But I learned that there were like eight dudes from the greater Memphis area that played in that game. And so the build up to it, I don't know if I include this in the, in the capsule or not, but it was like, it was like uh, 
the Battle of Memphis or something like that because there were so many Memphis players, not just on Memphis State, but UAB as well. Uh, so, yeah, continue what you're, with what you're saying. But, but, yeah, that coincidentally well, I, was the first one. Well, obviously, uh, Gene Bartow is the former Memphis State coach. Yes. So there's all that stuff going on. Um, so, okay, here's what I'm asking you. So you have no recollection of that. How do you do you just go look at the bracket from 85 and then find close games or low seeded teams beating higher seeded teams and then go look at those individual games? Like what's the process? Like? Yeah. So here's what I did. I did get good help. I don't know if you own this or not, GP, but back in like 2010, when it came out, uh, I remember my brother got it for me for Christmas. ESPN did this humongous. I did. I think they did one for football as well. They have a huge uh, college basketball encyclopedia and it goes year by year Going back to 39, it shows you the bracket, the scores for every single tournament. I mean, it, the actually the amount of research and data is, that's in this thing is, is incredibly invaluable. And so within that, it shows you the bracket, and then every single bracket for every single year has you know eight to ten to twelve games that are shaded, and 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 next to the shade on one side, on the right side is the kind of the key, and then it gives you three or four sentences about each game and something notable about it. Some of them are close, and some of them are not. It's just here's why this game was interesting or notable. So that. That initially helped me get it down, but that wasn't all I relied on because there were really close games from years past that weren't uh, highlighted or indicated in that. So I went back and I looked at every single tournament that either went that had a game that went to overtime or if it was decided by five points or fewer, and then tried to decipher. Okay, you know, I know I'm only going to be able to pick. I have to pick at least one for every year, and I can't really pick more than five in a given year because once you start doing that, the math you, you go from 85 to 2019, and I got room for 101 spots it comes out to you know like 3.4 games per tournament so I had to be a little bit selective and the one thing I will say is that you know if you did this took it upon yourself to make your own list there are easily at least I think 40 games you could in change out for another 40 from a pool of 120 games is what I'm getting at so I tried my best to pick the games that were memorable closely contested but not like significant in terms of the history of the sport because they weren't great games. I wanted games that were gripping and close. So that's why UMBC winning is not on the list because it killed Virginia. It's a memorable game. It's not a great game. The same can be said of the Dunk City teams. They romped through Georgetown and San Diego State. They were not close games. Duke killing uh, UNLV killing Duke in the national title game is memorable for how emphatically good that UNLV team was, but it's really the year after that when Duke barely beats UNLV and stuns them, by the way, in the Final Four that makes that list. So um, that's kind of how I picked it, and it was, GP, it was super tough. I mean, I started out with about 190 games, and when I got to that, I was like, what am I doing to myself? But I didn't, like, genuinely, GP, like, you know me, like, I enjoyed this, and I hope for anyone that reads it, it's just a way of, yeah, tapping into some no nostalgia, no doubt about it, but also learning about the growth of the tournament and how it really became like, yeah, college basketball was an important sport in 83, 84, 85, but really once we got into the late 80s and early into the early 90s, once the games became part of the culture of March in America, I think that's how it grew into what we've known it to be the past 20 to 25 years, but I think it took a few years for that 60-14 bracket to really show its magic and kind of grip the nation's uh, imagination. Uh, did you walk away from this with a with an opinion on what is the greatest NCAA tournament of all time? No, someone asked me that. Um, no, there are a few that like uh, 2019's good, 16's good, 2010's awesome. I feel like I'm talking about old DMB shows when I mention this, like DMB tours when I mention this, or Grateful Dead tours. Uh, 90 is incredible. 91's pretty good. 99 is awesome. Um, but no, that's a GP. That's a, that's I think something for maybe a year from now. I would I would want to look at that because I, I love the tournament. I love looking back on uh, on its best years. 86 is is pretty awesome because you've got LSU making the Final Four as an 11 seed, which doesn't happen again for 20 years with Mason. LSU does that, by the way, in part because it's the, it gets the benefit. It's crazy to think about this in hindsight. LSU played on its home floor, and it was an 11 seed. 
Like that was eventually changed and not be allowed to happen again. But um, but no, there were some uh, there were a lot of really good tournament years, and you'll you'll kind of see that reflected in the list in terms of like okay, which years have more games than others, and I think that's evident there. GP, what I did want to ask you was, and I don't know if you have it right in front of you or not, but I know you probably scanned through it. Um, First of all, do you remember <laughs> – I know I'm asking you to recall things from memory, so we're in trouble here already. But do you remember whether it would have been as a member of the media or a or a fan the first tournament game you would have ever gone to? Well, it would definitely have been when I was a fan. And I believe it was in high school, 1995 NCAA tournament at the Great American Pyramid in downtown Memphis. It was a first-round, second-round site um, I just remember being there. I remember being there all day long watching four basketball games, but I don't remember who was playing. I don't remember anything about the games. It was 95, though? Yeah, so I can look it up. Um, 1995 NCAA tournament, Wikipedia. Okay, let's see here. It was a Southeast um, Regional. Mm-hmm. It was a pod in the Southeast Regional. So I had top-seeded Kentucky. That would have been a Rick Pitino Kentucky team. It would have right? been, but this would have been the year before they won the the, real, the year before the really really good Kentucky team. Right. Apparently, I watched them beat the uh, Mount St. Mary's brains in, but mm. I don't have any recollection of that. It was uh, so I saw Kentucky beat Mount St. Mary's. I saw Tulane beat BYU. Saw Arizona State beat Ball State, and I saw Manhattan beat Oklahoma. Was that Fran Fashilla at yeah, Manhattan? Yeah, that would have been Fran. Yes. How about that? So I saw Fra- I saw Franny uh, upset uh, uh, Oklahoma and then Arizona State and Fran Fischilla on his way to the Sweet 16. <laughs> I witnessed that. I just I don't remember it, but I witnessed it. <laughs> okay. <Shout to> Fran. <laughs> well, well, fair enough. Um, so all right. So my first tournament would have been as a fan. I didn't go until like 2000. I want to say. Um, so first game that you would have remembered being at on the list then probably would have been as a media member, and you'd have to get down to like 03, 04, 05, I would think. But yeah, um, my first. We know for uh, 06 for sure because you were in the building for Gonzaga UCLA. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I was at the 2003 Final Four. So oh, you were? Yeah. that My first Final Four was 2003 Carmelo Anthony in, New, I believe it was New Orleans. Um, Memphis... Well, Basketball. that didn't make the list, but yeah. Okay, yeah. Okay, so let me. So that was O three Final Four. I'm uh, trying to see when I was a beat writer, when I would have been at an NCAA tournament game. It looks like the first time I would have been at an NCAA tournament game was also 2003. So as a media member, unless I covered a site in Memphis or something that where Memphis right, wasn't right, at. Right. But um, so yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't remember any of those games. I, I here's the problem. I, I, I probably was at lots of these games. I, <laughs> I, I won't have any recollection of them. I don't know. That's fine. Well, the uh, take a take a gander. Those listening, if you haven't already, there's you know, it was a joy to rediscover a lot of these games, rewatch a lot of these endings. Um, I've heard from plenty of Louisville fans that were frustrated that I didn't put their win over West Virginia in that year's Elite Eight into the list. It was not an easy omission. The, that game and Georgetown barely beating Princeton as a 1 over 16 and 89 were the two toughest cuts. The Georgetown-Princeton game was close. It wasn't amazingly well played. 05 is the best Elite Eight year ever, and 2019 is a close second overall. So I did put in... Michigan State beating Kentucky. That was the Patrick Sparks three with a crazy sequence in Austin. That one made it. And, of course, Arizona, Illinois. There are some really, really good ones on this list that I'd uh, implore you to go back and remember. Even recent ones, like the Michigan win over Oklahoma State from just two years ago, GP, is an incredible, incredible game, and I, I don't think I think that's one that's completely overlooked for how amazing it was. Uh, just two of the best offenses in college basketball. I'm going to read you real quick the uh, the stat there in terms of what it, what they were both able to do um, in the first round. It, we had just had never seen it before, uh, and that was when Brad Underwood was at Oklahoma State. Get this, Oklahoma State. It's a 65 possession game with 183 total points. That is absurd. Oklahoma State shoots 58 from two, 44% from three, 88% from the foul line, gets 16 offensive rebounds, and it loses. Because Michigan has a school record 16 three-pointers, 11 of them come in the second half. 
uh, both teams average more than 1.4 points per game. So when we're talking about like some of the best games played ever in the history of the NCAA tournament, 2017, Michigan 92, Oklahoma State 91, that didn't even go to overtime. That was a 7-10 matchup in the Midwest. That's um, that's a big one there. So take a look. Um, if, you, if you're listening, you might have been able, lucky to attend one, two, three, maybe even four or five um, games overall. But it was uh, – it was a labor of love, and I, I promise you there are 200 candidates that could have made the list, but uh, but I narrowed it down and included every single year. Top 101 NCAA tournament games since the tournament expanded in 1985. Norlander put in the work. You can read it at CBSSports.com. Scotty Lewis announced earlier this week that he is returning to Florida for his sophomore season. We're going to get into that next, but first, check this out. Are you looking for a new basketball shoe? If so, this is Gary Parrish here to tell you that the New Balance 2-Way V4 features the groundbreaking use of fuel cell technology with fresh foam creating the ultimate combination of rebound and cushioning. Every step feels explosive and dynamic, and the upper construction features a lightweight textile that's supportive and breathable. So whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the 2-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way at newbalance.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. So, good news for Mike White and the Florida Gators earlier this week. Scotty Lewis, former five-star recruit who was a one-time projected lottery pick, announced that he is returning to Florida for his sophomore season, at least in part because of the uncertainty of you know surrounding the NBA draft I think uh, more likely it's that he's no longer a projected lottery pick he's uh, a projected second round pick type of guy who could maybe with workouts and stuff you know sneak into the bottom of the first round but we don't know if we're going to have workouts hell at this point we don't know when the draft is going to be Um, how big is that uh, for Florida uh, that Scotty Lewis is coming back for a sophomore season Norlander and um, what does it say about Scotty Lewis because this is sort of what I wrote most of my column about. What does it say about Scotty Lewis that he was able to be honest with himself and recognize that his freshman season didn't go well and that um, even if he never intended to be a sophomore in college, probably the smartest thing he could do right now is is decide to be a sophomore in college. This is, If Scotty Lewis winds up greatly improving his stock and just growing into the kind of player as a sophomore um, that people hope that he can be in terms of being an NBA prospect. I actually think this kind of decision is going to reflect extremely well on him when it comes to him going to the NBA when we would we would assume that it will be next season almost no matter what. Um, Scotty Lewis has a great reputation and has for a long time in terms of his uh, maturity, uh, just having his stuff together overall, and I got to be honest, you know, I saw Florida play in person in the early part of the season at UConn, and this is when, you know, Florida was already disappointing out of the gate, uh, just wasn't quite the team that so many of us expected it to be. And some of the initial conversations I had about Scotty Lewis with just a few other coaches and some uh, evaluators was he's probably going to get taken in the first round and he has no business being taken in the first round, at least not as we, where we see it right now. And this is, again, this this would have been into mid to late December at this point. Uh, So there was still expectation that he would kind of get it together and, and show why he would be a first round draft pick because of his elite defense, athleticism has good bounce, smart player, et cetera, et cetera. But he just didn't put it all together. And normally I think you would have a player in his kind of position that, you know, not every single one, but say, you know, 8 out of 10, 9 out of 10, they would still opt to go now. Now, maybe um, through his own coaching staff or through anyone else that was giving him advice, maybe Scotty Lewis got some real direct um, constructive criticism and he wasn't going to have an inflated head about it. So credit to him. He, I don't know where he would have been picked. I don't think that he actually would have gone in the first round. I think if, I think if that was still a projected reality, then he probably leaves. But he might have enough confidence in himself that he's going to say, no, I think that I can improve myself. We can be even better next year, the team that closer to what we thought we'd be this season. And it's obviously a boon for Florida because if he can develop 
you know, we got to see if he can. But if he can develop into a more reliable offensive weapon, GP, yes, he is. Th- he is a good enough player where if it all comes together, we're talking top ten guy in college basketball next season. If the pieces all fit together, that's going to help Mike White in a big way and should, let's not try and overhype Florida again heading into next season, of course, but should put the Gators on a track and on a path where it can have more success. Because when you get a talent like him coming back to college basketball, I think that inherently helps your roster because I think he's actually a guy that helps keep a locker room together and better. It's something that I've noted for several years now that we spend so much time talking about recruiting classes and you know the number one class and the number seven class and and those things matter i mean like the the best teams in the country are usually um you know uh led by you know incredible players who were parts of at one point incredible recruiting classes but you look around the country every year and some of if not most of the best teams in the country um, they're the best teams because they got on the fence draft guys to get come back to school. I mean, just look right down. I'm gonna go down to Kempom, Kansas. You know, they had Devon Dotson back, Yadoka has a Buki back. Either one could have reasonably entered the 2019 NBA draft. Wouldn't have been first round picks, just like Scotty Lewis wouldn't have been. But they could have done it, and they decided to come back. Kansas ends up being the best team in in the country. Um, Obi Toppin at, at Dayton could have gone after his freshman season. He was, uh, you know, the A-10 rookie of the year, decides to come back. Dayton's projected to be a one seed. Duke, Trey Jones, they got him to come back for a sophomore year when he probably would have been a first-round pick after his freshman season. Duke finishes uh, fifth at, at Ken Palm. Um, at Michigan State, Cassius Winston, you know, could have left after his junior year. I don't know if he'd have been picked, but he could have left. Decides to come back. Michigan State, you know, finishes top ten at Ken Palm. Caleb Wesson at Ohio State. Jordan Wara at Louisville. Um, Jalen Smith at Maryland. Um, these are all programs that finished in the top fifteen at Ken Palm. They got on the fence draft guys to come back to school, and now Florida is going to be a big benefactor of that heading into the 2020-21 season. Uh, more than that, though, I was just impressed by Scotty Lewis's. Um, self-awareness. Um, I, I think you're right. You know, eight, eight out of ten guys who are projected lottery picks coming out of high school, they have already decided they're 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 leaving school after one year. And it's a little bit like once you start looking at houses, man, you're ready to move. Uh, you know, these guys. You know, was it smart for Josh Selby to leave Kansas after one year? Um, maybe not. I don't know. I'll let others make that choice, but make that uh, ruling. But you know, he was just ready to. He was just like he always thought he's going to be a one and done player because coming out of high school, he's projected as a top ten pick, and then he's a second round pick. But he was just ready to go because I'm. I was never going to spend more than one year in college. Well, Scotty Lewis, by his own admission, never planned to be a sophomore in college. He thought he's going to be uh, one year great college player, great college team, then bounce to the draft, be a lottery pick. He was not a great player. He was not on a great team. Those two things were connected, and I just thought it showed a certain level of maturity for him to recognize I wasn't very good for most of this season. We weren't very good for most of this season. Um, I don't want to run full speed into a bunch of unknowns when I can just come back to college, try to be better. And by the way, he was better toward the end of the season than he was most of the season. Come back to college, try to be better for a better team, and then look up in a year, presumably in a calmer world, and and see if he could actually be the projected lottery pick that he was once projected to be. I, I thought it was a smart decision. And um, now I'll be rooting for him, if only because I, I root for people who make smart decisions to have them pay off for him. Yeah, that that's a big one. And really one of the more notable transactional decisions, if you will, in the past few days uh, in college hoops. Um, the draft list continues to grow as always. You know, let's just for listeners who might be curious on that specific stuff, we got to get another week or two out here before like we can even begin to and like you know who's going to come back, who's not. There are interesting questions that are lingering there, and we'll get to that on podcast uh, on podcast to come. Um, Non-draft decisions, real quick, two big ones in terms of transactions. You've got Matt Harms out of Purdue, who's now going to be a graduate transfer. That came as a huge surprise. Actually, when that news broke, I was on the phone with our buddy Jeff Borzello right after it broke. 
And Borzello's, you know, he's just a guy who tracks this stuff. And I was like, I'm sure you heard about that, but that's like a total stunner to me. He's like, no, I did not have any idea that was happening. And then come to find out, like Purdue in general, like this, I think this happened kind of quickly. Uh, Matt Harms, you know, GP and I are, are largely on the same page here. Like you get a lot of transfers. They're going to be probably more than 700 this year. Ridiculous number, but it is what it is. Um, and really, like how many matter? Like 10 to 15? Matt Harms is one of those dudes. Matt Harms would be on the top five list of guys that matter. Um so just keep an eye on that. I don't know where I'll end up, but that was a big one. And then Carly Jones, uh, uh, high scorer, good player out of Radford. There have been plenty of instances in years past where you get a mid to low major player who can fill it up. Good, good score, good guards. They go to a big program. The success rate varies. So I don't know if Jones is going to be the kind of dude that lands on the Louisville roster. We look up a year from now and he's like a top three guy on the team. I don't know if that's going to happen, but, um, if you're a top 15 program that's going to be vying for second weekend Final Four type of status and you can bring in a 21 or 22-year-old who knows how to score, who has a maturity about himself and can ideally hopefully step into a locker room and gel well, the coaches will take that kind of every single time. So those are the two big non-draft decisions uh, along with Scotty Lewis. But, GP, there was – I mean, we haven't been short on uh, short on this stuff in general, right? I mean, we had – we still wait on more with Duke, but Cassius Stanley, right, electing to go as well? Yeah, um, we'll get to that in just a second. One more uh, thing, well, a couple more things on on Jones and Harms because okay. those were two big things that happened uh, this week. Um, you know, Jones he averaged to put some numbers on it: twenty and a half points, five point five assists, five point rebounds for Radford. Like, you know, how does that translate from Radford to Louisville? I- I'm not sure, but clearly he's a he's a useful piece. So it's a good get for Louisville. He, by the way, is from Cincinnati. So he only grew up like 90 minutes from Louisville. I, I'm sure that played some role in his decision. You know, Harms, I would assume <clears throat> from talking to people that he's going to take his time here. And the reason is because at least two of the schools he's looking at are legitimate national championship contenders, Gonzaga and Kentucky. And they both have bigs that could either stay or go. We don't know for sure yet. And so if – Philip Petrushev or or Nick Richards leaves like that really opens up a spot for you to join a team that you know you can you can you know be a, a an impactful newcomer for a team that can win a national championship and so the way somebody explained it to me was um, he's looking for a perfect situation and Gonzaga or Kentucky either one could offer that but first he's got to find out for sure what's going on with those other guys that made sense to me you know what's interesting is. Matt Harms is a rare case of a college player where because he's been, you know, he, he backed up Isaac Haas and uh, even A.J. Hammonds. I think he maybe he came in the year after Hammonds, but um, he has just been a prominent member of Purdue for so long. Like picturing Matt Harms in a Kentucky uniform is <laughs> it's not Brady the Bucks. Don't get me wrong, uh, but it's actually like a little like I don't know. I can see it happening, but it's just it seems weird and different. That's all. I don't know. Maybe it's just because he wasn't expected to transfer at all. But he would be a big addition. I, hmm, I, I would think Nick. I would think Nick Richards is going to go. Uh, my, my understand. If I were from talking to people, I think Petrushev is back at Gonzaga, preseason first team All American. Gonzaga's number one, and I think Nick Richards is is leaving Kentucky. Yes. I, so I, I don't. I don't have any insight into where Matt Harms is going to end up. But if I'm John Calipari, it's a pretty easy sell. Like, we just lost our big, who was an all-SEC player. Uh, you want to come be, you know, presumably the starting center for a team that I've got number two in the preseason top 25 and one. And that's with Nick Richards projected to leave. Right. You want to come be the the starting center on a team that, you know, it could be could theoretically be preseason number one, play with the number one recruiting class in America. Like, here's your opportunity. To me, you know, I, I don't, you know, if Matt Harms is looking for a chance to win a national championship, Kentucky probably does present him with his best opportunity. Yeah, that would be that addition. I mean, you'd have to consider actually putting Kentucky <laughs> yet again. Uh, yet again, preseason number one. All right. And so we had um, oh, wait, one more and one more, one more. And you're you're loaded up. You're loaded up with the Nuggets, aren't you? What else you got? No, it's not even a nugget as much as it just happened while we were talking. You might not even be aware of it. Alex O'Connell has committed to Creighton. That's a pretty solid get. 
Former it just adds depth to a team that's going to be like Creighton's preseason top five. Yeah. And they bring everybody back from a team that was number one seed in the Big East tournament. And you add Alex O'Connell. He'll probably just be a piece at Creighton like he was a piece at Duke, but he's a piece. You yeah. know, it, it, it helps. He's a, he's a piece. And yes, uh, that uh, that seems actually like a, a pretty a pretty solid fit there. And that just it, it strengthens. It definitely strengthens Creighton, who lost. This was expected, but who lost Davion Mintz to, to transfer as well. So O'Connell comes in to step in and, and be a piece there but speaking of duke mm. i was setting you up to talk about Cassius stanley he is in the <laughs> nba draft uh for good he doesn't sound like somebody who's testing the water you know mike krzyzewski released a statement saying i really enjoyed Cassius. i look forward to you know seeing him at the next level cash is talking about i'll always love duke so this isn't a test the water i'm going to come back this he's in the draft uh, I, I i he could be a first round pick i don't know that he will be but this is one where I can just sort of circle it back to what we were talking about at Florida. You know, Florida gets an on-the-fence guy to come back in Scotty Lewis. Now Duke gets an on-the-fence guy that leaves in Cassius Stanley. And you're supposed to lose Vernon Carey after one year or, you know, year prior, um, um, Zion Williamson but or R.J. Barrett um, or, or Cam Reddish. Cassius Stanley was a, you know, you know, sub 35 prospect coming out of high school. He's a four-star guy. You don't expect your four-star guys to be one and done players. Um, so this is uh, this is one that stings a little bit for Duke. Like I've still got him preseason top 10, but I think I've got him 10 now. I dropped him from sixth to 10th um, with Cassius Stanley announcing that he's no longer going to be a part of the Duke program because now Duke is losing their top three scores and four of their top six. And that's, um, and they, they've got a good recruiting class coming in. They've got you know three five-star prospects, Jalen Johnson, Jeremy Roach, DJ Stewart. But, eh, you know, they're going to be young and not young with Zion Williamson on the roster. Yeah, I, I think I heard you say the phrase testing the water twice, not testing the water. So are you, are you redefining the paradigm here? Test, what did I say, testing the water? Yeah, as in they were like, they're taking a little sip of the tap, you know? They're just testing the water. I, I, if I if I said that it wasn't intentional, I'm well, not trying to change listen, terminology. Listen, I actually I think the terminology is fine because really, what the hell does that mean this year? And and this might be again, this will be something we're going to wrap here in a couple of minutes, but we'll get to this probably on a podcast uh, next week or the week after. Uh, the very notion of testing the waters or the water this season, it. I think uh, uh, some college basketball NBA fans uh, can understand and really realize, but it is. A complete departure, okay? You are not doing anything that you normally would be doing, and I actually wonder if this will benefit college basketball two, three months from now when we see that evaluators and general managers having to rely on intel they get from coaches, tape they've watched, the scouting department, how many times they did or didn't see a player. And so if you're a guy who is a fringe second-round pick, and I'm talking like no one sees you above the top 50 or if you're like a top 100 guy, and the money just might not be there as much at the G League level. Talking about two ways, exhibit 10s, that kind of stuff. Might there be a case where you say, you know what? Like maybe I should go back to college if the opportunities financially aren't there as much, and I'm just not getting as much exposure, as much buzz. I'm not going to meet with teams. I'm not doing workouts. Like you're not even even if you're that kind of guy to begin with in 2019, 2018, 2016, you're at least in the process where you might be disillusioned to the point where you think maybe it could happen because you are visiting with four teams or six teams. You're going to the combine. You're doing that stuff. That's now all been taken away. And so I just wonder if we might actually see after last year where we had hit a high, not just in terms of underclassmen who declared GP, but underclassmen who declared and stayed in regardless. Like you had 80-plus dudes do it for 60 spots. I, I wouldn't be stunned if that number came back just a little bit when the realities of what they aren't able to do for the rest of this month and all of May, and then they say all right, maybe I'll, maybe I'll step back and head back to college. The only thing that could prevent that, or at least provide some stumbling blocks, is if you opt to do that, and then the roster situation at your school, not that they couldn't find a spot for you if you're that talented, they will, but just there might be some, uh, some bumps along the way with that. But it's just, I, I was thinking about this in the past 48 hours, wondering, hmm, 
We're going to have a lot of dudes cl- declare, and I think a guy like Cassius Stanley is going to get drafted. Don't get me wrong. He's an athletic freak. But guys below his level, we might have a situation where we get a batch of good dudes that actually come back to college hoops. What do you think? Yeah, like, well, what does testing the waters even look like? Like, you're going to get on Zoom with the San Antonio Spurs? I mean, what are you going to do? Yeah. If, you know, I talked to multiple front office members um, earlier this week because I, when I was writing about uh, Scotty Lewis, I was like, listen, do, do you guys think we're going to have the draft on June 25th? And to a man, they were like, you know, we don't know, but it was more leaning toward no than yes. And I'll just say this. If we have a draft on June 25th, um, it's probably not going to be a combine. You're, you're probably not doing individual workouts right now. Um, NBA franchises are prohibited from doing any in-person workouts no video workouts. Yeah. All you can do is virtual interviews with prospects for up to four hours total, like between now and the draft. And so, um, I, and, and, you know, by the way, can you have the draft without a draft order? Like right now we don't have a draft order. And you, 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 the, the NBA would have to pull the plug on the regular season or complete the regular season. That's right. That but, has to, right. Your GP. That has to happen before we get the next step. I, it's telling you, this is going to be super fascinating. It is. Uh, yeah. So they, they've either got to say the regular season is over. We don't know if we're going to be able to play the playoffs, but the regular season is over. Here's the draft order. I mean, you you know, like with protected picks and all that stuff, like it really de- like it determines who's picking where. Yes. And and so you got to figure that out. They've got to make a decision about is the regular season over or not because they're not going to play the regular season before June 25th. So they've just got to decide: are, is this just the draft order? Are we done with the regular season? So there's a lot of steps here. I would bet against us having the draft June 25th. And so, but here's the the point you were making: nobody really knows for sure right now. And so I, I can't speak for what uh, these underclassmen are going to do, but I can tell you if it were my son and I were advising, mm-hmm. I would say we don't know what we're running into. Yeah. You know, and and you might not get picked. At best, you're a late second round pick. Let's just – what's wrong with just going back to school and doing one more year of college basketball, enjoying it, and trying to improve yourself or at least have a clearer picture of what you're walking into this time next year as opposed to right now? That would be my my advice for prospects that don't know for sure that they're going to be picked whenever it is we have the 2020 NBA draft. Yeah, we'll explore this more on podcasts to come. I want to have a few more conversations uh, like you've had with just folks at the NBA level and even some more college coaches to get their uh, their input on it. But there's a lot of stuff there because if you keep uh, if you push out the draft, well, then what's the NCAA deadline? And then these coaches got to get their rosters together. Like, okay, and hypothetical, like, okay, we're going to have the draft on August 1st. Well, they kind of have to know well before that in terms of college basketball, you would think. So there's a lot of questions there. And then the other element is that these players aren't around their coaches anymore. They're at home. They're not even – they're not surrounded by anyone but – uh, their their family essentially, and then hearing from uh, the agents that they would want want to be working with. So it will be uh, it'll be a fascinating thing to track. And then yeah, this will this will quickly. I think once the NFL draft stuff comes and goes, I think the NBA season, how its draft is affected, how college basketball will be affected. I think that actually becomes one of the predominant sports stories of late April into early May. And obviously, we'll talk about it week after week after week after week until we figure out exactly <laughs> what's going on. Shouts. To Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry, MF, and Teagle Legend. Shouts to Larnell. Shouts to ZZ Top. Please go subscribe to the Ion College Basketball Podcast via Apple Podcast. Rate it favorably. Uh, five stars. Nice comments. And tell somebody about it if somebody asks, How am I supposed to fill up my day? Do you know any podcasts I can listen to? Uh, send them our way. We will talk to you again real, real soon. Till then, stay home, stay safe, take care. What's up, y'all? This is four-time NBA champ Andre Iguodala. Yo, and this is his best friend, the Ohio State legend, Evan Marcel Turner the first. Every Wednesday, we drop a new episode on our show, Point Four. We're talking basketball, business, and all the culture in between. From locker room stories to some basketball analysis from those who've been in the game. Now, it is a do-bet. Do average 29 and 11. God, what it take to be an all-star? A win. Subscribe to Point Forward, the podcast, so you don't miss a thing.